I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. When we label foods as good or bad, um, it's not such a far leap to saying I was good or bad for eating that food. And I think, you know, obviously we want to optimize health and we want our kids to thrive, but we also want to nurture the relationship around feeding. And I think that piece is critical. And when you label foods as good or bad, you do two things. One, there's a lot of judgment. And so am I a bad parent for giving my child these foods? Is my child for bad for eating these foods? The other thing that we do that might not be as obvious is, is we actually set up this hierarchy around food where children believe that, well, broccoli or kale should not be eaten because those don't taste good. I just have to eat those foods in order to get the good foods that I really want. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Hello, and thanks for tuning into the Plant Strong podcast, where I proudly introduce you to the true seekers and the change makers those who are unafraid to dive deep into the waters of plant-based nutrition and share the results with the world. Last week, I interviewed the godmother of plant-based nutrition, Brenda Davis, about her new book, Nourish, the definitive plant-based nutrition guide for families. This week, I continue with part two of this important topic with co-author and pediatrician, Dr. Reshma Shah. I know it's hard and sometimes seemingly impossible to bring an entire family on board the plant-based journey with you. There can be a lot of fear around community, judgment, nutrition requirements. I understand. I also know that you want what's best for your families 
And it's time we have positive conversations around food with your doctors, friends, and especially your family. The book gives families the tools, resources, and even fun recipes that will bring joy, abundance, and most importantly, nutrition back to the family table. It will also instill confidence that you're making great decisions for the benefit of your family. Enjoy. Welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Reshma Shah. Uh, she is the co-author of this fantastic book, Nourish. Uh, as you know, last week we had Brenda Davis on uh, on the podcast, and Brenda was telling us, uh, Reshma, that you two met on an airplane. You just happened to sit next to each other. And then this kind of magic uh, connection happened. How did it, yeah. how, how did that happen for you? So we, as Brenda mentioned, we were both um, on flying down to um, uh, Southern California for the Plantrition Conference, and she happened to be sitting in the same row with me. And I mean, I felt like I was sitting next to a celebrity. There was Brenda <laughs> Davis. Um, you know, she was one of the speakers of the conference, and she, you know, she's so humble and just so down to earth. She sort of introduced herself and she said, Oh, I'm Brenda Davis. Um, I'm actually one of the speakers of the conference. And I thought, I know exactly who you are. You don't have to introduce yourself. And we just ended up just, you know, chatting like old friends the entire flight down. And then she offered me a ride in her car um, to the conference. So we continued talking. And I think we just immediately took to one another and stayed in touch you know, through the course of that year. And then the following year, we met at the same conference. And um, I remember the last day of the conference, we were having breakfast together. And I was just asking her for professional advice, because she's such a pioneer in the movement. I mean, she'd been, she's been doing this for longer than, you know, I feel like I'm such a newbie compared to her. And I was just asking her for some professional advice and kind of how she made her way. And, you know, I, she just said, well, we could work on something together. And my heart was just beating so fast. And yeah. on the plane ride back, I started drafting the notes for the book. <laughs> That's and, how it happened. Right, right. And so um, is Nourish your first book? It's my first and only book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and how was that process for you of writing the book? Was it arduous? Was it, was it you know, fantastic? Just a combination of everything? Yeah. I mean, I think there were definitely moments of stress, you know, with certain deadlines and page counts and all those things. But I have to tell you that um, as a first time writer, having a partner like Brenda was just so comforting and reassuring. And I think we we each had our ideas of what we wanted to sort of bring to the project. And I think because Brenda's written so many books and been so successful, she was really willing to let me um, contribute the ideas in terms of you know, our kids are at different ages and we have different sets of experiences. And so it was just such a wonderful partnership. And I felt so comforted knowing that I had Brenda right next to me because she's just such a wealth of knowledge. And I feel like there's not a single question that I could have that she is not going to know the answer to. Yeah, no, she is. She's like the human version of Google, right? When it comes to <laughs> yes. this. You when know? it comes to plant-based nutrition, she ab yes. absolutely is. And it was such a collaborative effort. We each definitely had sections that we sort of took ownership of and that were predominantly ours. But the process was just a lot of back and forth and back and forth. And it really, um, I mean, of course, it was stressful at moments, but it was really a labor of love and was such an honor and a joy and a pleasure to write it with her. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, uh, I know that the book has been broken up into four main sections. Uh, what I what I really love to delve into with you today from Nourish is talk about talk about confidence. Yes. Part part three because I think yeah. that that's, that that to me is a place where um, I think a lot of families could use a lot of help, especially with. Everything that's going on right now in the world, you've got all these amazing documentaries that are out there. You've got a climate emergency that is really, you know, threatening, I think, potentially our species. I think you have the evolution, the continuing evolution of us as a species where we're kind of realizing, you know, this eating animals isn't really in alignment with my values. And so I think you have more and more families that are trying to come on board and trying to figure it out, and they're having a hard time doing it. So I'd love to talk with you about families and getting families on board, some of the struggles uh, and all that stuff. So can we? maybe we should start with this. Um, as people are making the transition, I think that we sometimes classify certain foods as bad foods and good foods. And I think you guys are like, we shouldn't do that. That's that's not good. So you want to talk about that? Yeah. And thanks for, I think it's such a critical conversation because when we label foods as good or bad, um, it's not such a fart leap to saying I was good or bad for eating that food. And I think, you know, obviously we want to optimize health and we want our kids to thrive, but we also want to nurture the relationship around feeding. And I think that piece is critical. And when you label foods as good or bad, you do two things. One, there's a lot of judgment. And so am I a bad parent for giving my child these foods? Is my child for bad for eating these foods? The other thing that we do that might not be as obvious is, is we actually set up this hierarchy around food where children believe that, well, broccoli or kale should not be eaten because those don't taste good. I just have to eat those foods in order to get the good foods that I really want. So I think every family is going to have their sort of own words and terminology that they use around these, these foods. Some people call it fun food, some people call. And I think the more that we can sort of take these labels away and just encourage our children to eat a variety of nutritious foods without label them, labeling them or without judging them, um, ultimately, First, they're going to eat more of the foods that we're sort of offering. And secondly, they're going to have a long lasting relationship that's grounded in joy and um, abundance around food. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I want to dive into family meals because that to me, I look back on my childhood and that to me was really the cornerstone and the foundation of us as a family was every dinner we made that a huge priority, and, and you are a huge advocate for that. And before I, I let you loose to talk about that, I just want to read a little passage from your book. And this is why fi family meals matter, and you guys say, in fact, some re researchers suggest that, quote, family meals have more to do with ad an adolescent's positive outcomes than socioeconomic status, family structure, after-school activities, tutors or church. I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty powerful. And I just like you, we I grew up in a very traditional Indian household. We had family dinner every single night together. I mean, the only exception was if, you know, somebody was at a friend's house or something like that, but it was every single night. And I think that that is the foundation. It just sort of set the expectation. 
I think today parents definitely face more challenges. Um, I remember one time when my kids were a little bit younger, my parents were visiting, you know, before COVID. And my mom was sort of overwhelmed at the busyness of their schedules. She's like, I don't understand how you do this. Like this one's got soccer practice and this one's got after school this and after school that. I think she was exhausted just looking at her schedule. So I think it's important to acknowledge that families are busy and it requires prioritizing things. And just as with when we talk about good food, bad food, I think, um, you know, passing judgment in terms of whether you're a family that has family meals and therefore you're a good parent or a good family versus a family that doesn't, it's all about sort of just making steps to incorporate this into your life. And it's going to look different for different families. And the research, when they look at the research on families meals and some of the statistics that we cite, um, the meals that they sort of cite for uh, research purposes is five or more meals eaten together as a family. But that doesn't mean you're not going to benefit from just starting at one and sort of gradually moving your way up. And I think it's the same way as when we talk about plant-based foods, start where you are and sort of gradually add in. And there have there's also been research to show that it doesn't necessarily have to be the dinnertime meal. I mean, I think for a lot of families, it's the easiest time of day to come together, but it could be, you know, breakfast, or even if you've got a kid that's got late night practice when they come home and if they're eating a meal at home, sit with them at, at the table with a cup of tea. It's, it's, it's definitely about the food that's being served, but it's also about the time that you take to connect with one another and sort of slow down. And I also, we also talk a lot about strategies about what you shouldn't, what you should and try to avoid to do at the dinner table as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some, what are some simple things? So I, I can kind of tee you off cause you have some stuff in your book, but like you have something like set the table, something as simple yeah. as set the table. Yeah. And I think what it's, you know, sometimes people will sort of construe that as like, oh, you want me to get flowers and fancy <laughs> right. plates. And it's not about that. I think it's just um, when you sort of clear the table, just move all the papers and the schoolwork or whatever, um, you know, set the plates. Um, we like using cloth napkins because it's, you know, better for the environment. It sort of signals to your family, this is important and this is precious. So let's just, you know, sit together. And it doesn't have to be about fancy plateware or anything like that, but it's just about sort of setting an intention and saying, this is important. I value this. Let's come together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I literally, we, we love dinner time. It, it, you know, it's a 20, 30 minutes when we are all around that dinner table. We have a lazy Susan. So it's a round, it's a round table. I love uh, that. Uh, and, and then I'd say not every dinner, but typically maybe two or three dinners a week, we go around and we do gratitudes and we talk about what we're grateful for. And as you guys so eloquently point out in, in the book, um, it also allows you to develop like some of your, your skills, like just in, you know, in speaking and putting your thoughts together and just a lot of basic things that are going to help you out in life when yeah. you can do that every day. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Like, okay, you're saying this is precious. I have to set the table. Now we have to have these really meaningful conversations. Yeah, right. And that's not the idea. The idea is it's just a time for you to kind of share about your day. And studies have also looked at the idea of the conversations that we have. They allow kids to have a greater sense of family connectedness. So even, you know, stories about grandparents or when you were younger, it just makes them feel sort of more resilient and um, provides them with a greater sense of family connectedness. It's, a, it's an opportunity to sort of share your values, to share your traditions. And um, 
it's sort of like a, it's one of those things where you nurture over time. It's not going to be these, you know, mind blowing conversations every time, but it's a habit that you develop. And I can tell you that in our family, uh, you know, everyone sort of come, there's no, there's no battle or fight against family there because it's just been, I sort of describe it like when you get into a car and you put your seatbelt on, it's just something you do. It's yeah. not something you argue over or you negotiate. It's just something that your family does. And so for us, family dinner has just become something that our family does. And how, how many children do you have and what are their ages? Yeah. So we have two kids. I've got a 15 year, almost 16 year old. Gosh, he's going to be 16 in just a few short weeks. Um, and then an 18 year old. 16 and 18. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So they're almost out of the house. Yeah. My uh, daughter was actually supposed to go all the way to college um, oh, on the yeah. East Coast this fall. And she, with COVID and everything, she just decided to sort of sit, take some classes closer to home and we'll head off next year. So we get her for another year. So, so they're 16 and 18. And when did you start in earnest uh, trying to get your family on board with the plant-based lifestyle? Yeah, and I think this is one of the this has been one of the interesting things in writing this book with Brenda. You know, her family started this way from like I don't think her kids could remember really another way of eating, and that wasn't the case for our family. I grew up in a vegetarian household, so it wasn't really foreign to me this idea of eating. We didn't call it this at the time, but plant based, plant centered meals. That's yeah. kind of what I grew up on. Um, but I then I wasn't plant based for a really long time, especially in medical school and residency training. I ate all the you know hospital cafeteria fast food kind of things for a period of time. And then when I started having kids at the end of my training, I I really started to become much more interested in terms of what I was feeding them because we went through a lot of those struggles. My husband and I were both finishing our training and it was just about getting meals on the table quickly. And I wanted to minimize the sort of arguing and fighting over food. And so we did all the things, right? Like the tofu nuggets for the kids so they would be happy and separate meals. Uh, and I would say when my kids became like more school age, I really became interested in um, I mean, we always cooked a lot at home. We always ate a lot of plant-centered, plant-focused meals. But then in earnest, I would say it's been about 10, 12 years. Oh, and wow. It was a very gradual process for us. So first it was just about, you know, cooking more at home and doing all those things. And then the more I started to learn, I came to understand that like what my parents sort of raised us on was actually the way we were supposed to be eating. Mm. And so gradually kind of came back to more of a plant Based plant-centered diet and brought my family along on the journey. Um, and then I think, you know, I've been fully vegan now for, I don't know, vegetarian for a long time and vegan for about five or six years. Um, and it was a very slow going process for my family too. They weren't fully on board right away. So I can definitely relate to parents who are, um, you know, find it challenging to kind of help their family make the transition. And uh, yeah. So well, and I, and I know that in, in the book, you mentioned how you know, you were, you were mentally there, like you, you were, you were in and you were trying to bring your family on board, you know, uh, cause they were playing catch up and, you know, you, you didn't want to be impatient with them, you know, and you, you mentioned how, you know, another one of the reasons for eating this way is it's around compassion. And so you want to be compassionate yeah. for those that are, you're trying to bring on board too, and not, not stress them out <laughs> with it yeah. as well. And I, I would say from my husband's also a physician and for him, um, I mean, he definitely, he's a fairly, he eats a healthy diet, but for him, it was the animal issues that sort of finally said, okay, I'm in. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's important to meet people where they're at and really just 
celebrate the food as much as possible because that's really the best way to kind of bring people on board. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like that you have a quote in the book too, where you say that you finally jumped in and this was probably five or six years ago when you decided to go, you know, all in. And you said that it wasn't about being perfect, but rather being centered in my values. Yes. Which yeah. I really liked. Can you, can you um, expand on that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as a pediatrician and a healthcare professional, I was definitely drawn into this way of eating by the health aspects. I mean, I think it's just, there's no doubt in my mind that eating a plant-centered, predominantly plant diet is really good for our health in terms of all the prevention of chronic diseases and reducing our risk of heart disease, all these things that we know of. Um, but really, you know, it's sort of like, then you go down this rabbit hole, then you're like, oh, wait a minute. But now that I'm willing to look at this, it's also good for our planet. Mm. And then the last little piece for me was actually um, the piece around factory farming, because I knew this, right? I grew up in a vegetarian household. My parents sort of taught me this, but somehow I was able to sort of put it out of my mind during the years where I ate animals. And when you begin to sort of realize that um, there is no need for that amount of suffering, there's just no way to, I think, deny that this is really the most compassionate way to eat. Um, and yeah, so it just, it just, yeah. Yeah. It, it, and for me, in terms of being centered in my values, like, um, I think it's really important to, even if your family isn't fully on board, because I get this question a lot. Um, if you're in a loving, kind, supportive relationship, you can ask for their respect, you know? And so what that looked like in our family is when I really kind of jumped in, I said, this is it. I've drawn the line. I, I'm not going to cross it. Um, even though, you know, my family wasn't fully on board, they, gave me a ton of support and respect in terms of, you know, the shopping and what we brought in the house and what we didn't. And then um, I, you know, in a very kind, loving way, offered them flexibility outside of the home. So when they weren't fully ready to kind of make the plunge, um, it, I tried to sort of decrease the amount of conflict that it yep. caused in that household. Yep. Yep. No, that's really important. And I know, for example, um, just I experienced it myself at the firehouse and with a lot of firefighters that contact me that are that are trying to get on board with this, just the the amount of tension and friction that they're mm -hmm. experiencing at the firehouse with typically with the um, the other guys. And I tell them, listen, uh, you don't you don't have to have them um Here's in, in the most loving, caring way with these other male firefighters, you have to let them know, listen, all I'm asking is for you to support me, not sabotage me. Yes. Right. I couldn't agree more. I and, couldn't agree more. And, and so many of these firefighters, unfortunately, will just continue to just belittle and nitpick and, and not leave it alone um, to the point to where, you know, uh, a lot of these firefighters, they... They just want to get along. And so they're going to do anything that it takes to, to kind of go along with the flow here, almost if it means the, uh, um, the expense of their health along yeah. the way, which is, which is kind of unfortunate. But so it's, it's, it's important. It's like you just framed it up. It's so important to have that conversation and have it the right way. Yeah. I was just having this conversation with a good friend of mine and um, she's vegan, she's plant-based and it's amazing. Like she's just trying to eat her lunch, you know, there's no, con and, and other people are commenting about like, 
you know, all the questions, the protein and the this and the that. And um, it can be sometimes challenging because I think people feel like when you're eating a vegan diet, when you're eating a plant-based diet, that somehow you are judging them mm-hmm. for not doing the same. And it couldn't be further from the truth. And I always think about it as an invitation rather than ah. an expectation or an imposition, you know, whether it's with your friends, with your family, with perfect strangers, even sometimes you can just approach it from a place of inviting them. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that, that's nice. I want you to consider joining our new plant strong community near the end of last year. My team fell in love with this new platform that allows us to communicate and connect with as many people as possible while hosting our online events, supporting our coaching programs and avoiding Facebook, which we've heard again and again that folks are wanting to move away from. In January, we unveiled our new free Plant Strong Challenge inside this community and watched as thousands of you made the commitment to join and support one another in eating more plants. If you haven't joined, I invite you to do so. Simply visit plantstrong.com today and click to sign up for this challenge. You'll be surrounded by a fiercely supportive community and have a chance to participate in live Q&As with me each month. I can't wait to see you on the inside. Thanks. Let me ask you this. So as a pediatrician, what what are you seeing in, in children or have you seen over the last decade or so um is it is it pretty is it pretty unfortunate the 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 state of most children's health or what's it like yeah and i think i've seen like i think i've seen it from both perspectives i definitely see um you know children who uh don't have an don't have access to a variety of healthy foods you know our school lunch programs don't necessarily prioritize that i think that families are really busy with you know both parents working or multiple jobs and they definitely face a lot of challenges and in all my years of clinical practice i've never met a parent that doesn't want the very best for their child and i think usually it's either a lack of um, availability of foods or finances or time or any number of things that sort of get in the way. So I think parents do need support in terms of knowing what a healthy diet is. They they really are looking for some practical tips and strategies that can help them to get there. Um, and I think that parents want to feel supported and not judged about their food choices. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that I've seen, I've been seeing more, I think, over the last several years is you know, one of the things that we've been targeting is pediatric obesity. And I think it's definitely a concern and a problem, but I think that we need to be very careful with how we have these conversations with kids and with families, because it's, um, it can be really, it can affect their self-esteem. It can affect the way that they see themselves in the world. And I think we have to be much more protective of our children when we have these conversations. We want them to be healthy. We want them to thrive. We want them to eat a healthy diet. All these things are very true. Um, But at the end of the day, I think that when we focus exclusively on the weight, we just completely miss the most important conversations that we should be having. Focusing on families, family meals, focusing on providing a variety of healthy foods. Um, And then sometimes I think what happens is, you know, if that child sort of falls in the normal range of the BMI, we think we don't have to talk about diet at all. And I think we should be having the same conversations about food with each and every family. Well, are you seeing, what are you seeing as far as pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes in some of your, some of your patients? 
Yeah. You know, as a pediatrician, um, when we moved to California, I don't have my own clinical practice. I work more sort of in the urgent care setting. So over the last several years, I haven't been seeing too much of that. Um, But I certainly do see kids coming with a variety of health-related problems that are based in nutrition, you know, whether it's hypertension or um, I think one of the most common things I see is chronic constipation. And a lot of that is directly related to diet. Um, But we know that kids uh, are getting diagnoses of type 2 diabetes and um, elevated cholesterol and hypertension and providing support for families so that they can offer the foods that can help with these conditions um, is really essential. But again, I think that all kids, not the ones that are pre, just pre-diabetic or, you know, borderline hypertensive, um, all kids deserve the same information because BMI is just sort of one uh, marker or one indicator. Um, and it doesn't go into the sort of relationship that that family has with food uh, and, you know, the focus on family meals and enjoyment. And the same things I think are true for all of these families. I had this one child I'll never forget um, who had seen her pediatrician and then came in about six months later because the mom uh, said that she just wasn't eating anymore. And, you know, she was having problems with her appetite. And initially I thought it might be reflux or something like that. And I dug a little deeper and I found out that at her well child care six months ago, her BMI had plotted in the, you know, abnormal range and uh, in the higher range. And the, you know, it was recommended that they modify their diet. And what that I think she was 11 or 12. What that child heard was there is something wrong with my body. Mm. And she started restricting her food intake. And, you know, she would have a small breakfast and then she wouldn't eat the rest of the day. And it just sort of set up this dynamic because the conversation focused on the BMI instead of like, what does your family eat? And when you oftentimes, when I ask these families, they, the, the, the parents are really trying to create family meals um, and they're having difficulty getting the kids on board. And so I think what parents and children need from healthcare providers is positive conversations around food and empowering them with things that they can do that will improve their health instead of just focusing on the BMI. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, are you, uh, so, and maybe, maybe you're not seeing this because you're working in emergency medicine, but I'm wondering how many, if your average pediatrician is seeing eating disorders in mm-hmm. uh, children, let's say maybe ages eight to 18 and how, and how how frequent that is becoming if it's more becoming more and more kind of of a thing yeah i think it's definitely becoming more and more of a thing i think there's um uh, there's a lot of focus on on weight and bmi and i think the messages that we give our kids are very complicated right like that you have to sort of look and be a certain way um and that comes from sort of restricting your food intake which is the last thing we want our children to be doing you know, um, so I think that the that the conversations that we have with kids and families is really, really important. And how and what we say matters a great deal. Um, just in sort of researching this book and talking to other mothers and stuff, I can't tell you the number of people that have told me that a negative comment at their pediatrician's office resulted in some sort of, hmm. you know, if it's even if it's not a full blown diagnosable eating disorder, but disordered eating patterns. Yeah. So I think it's, we have to be really careful with how we have those conversations. And even, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, vegan diets and vegetarian diets um, contribute to eating disorders. And in researching the book, what Brenda and I came to realize is it's not the vegan or vegetarian diet nece- that in itself is um, concerning, but it's sort of the motivation, the why. Like, are you looking to save the planet? Are you looking to protect yeah. animals? Are you looking to, you know, take care of your health or, 
Um, is it a diet? Because studies have shown one of the greatest risk factors for developing an eating disorder is dieting. Right, right. Well, and to that point, how many Americans are on a diet because they're trying to lose weight? It seems like the vast majority of them, right? Yeah. Um, and I think so the whole thing is that we want to set our kids up to have a positive relationship from, with food from the very beginning, which brings us back to the point that we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, yeah. good food, bad food. Like those conversations can really matter. Yep. Well, and in, in, in the book, you also reference how the single most important thing that you did to get your personal family on board was to cook really good, delicious food. Yeah. Right? And can you like, let the listeners know how delicious and how tasty this food can be. <laughs> oh, it's it's so fantastically delicious. And I actually think that it it can it can broaden and open up your culinary adventures when you begin to explore mm. new foods, you know, from ethnic cuisines and trying out different things. And um it's for me, people when people talk about vegan, vegetarian, plant-based diets, sometimes the word restrictive comes up in the conversation. And that couldn't be farther, farther from the truth for us. It does not feel restrictive in any way. I think the flavors are really delicious. Um, one of the things that I did when I sort of went full in, in terms of the plant-based journey was I took a six month long, um, plant-based professional cooking course through Ruby. Yeah. And it was such a phenomenal experience. And my kids who were quite a bit younger at the time, they were so intrigued by the fact that I had homework and they were, they would critique the meals and they would tell me, Oh, I think this needs a touch more seasoning or you need a little more acid in this. And so getting the kids involved and, ah. you know, making it sort of a fun and joyful process. I think for those people that are not comfortable with cooking, my message would be just start, but don't start with complicated recipes, start with simple things, make family favorites, and then just try to make them more plant-based. You know, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be gourmet. Um, it really is just, you know, experimenting, trying, seeing what your family likes, get the kids involved, make it as fun as possible. Well, I think you're exactly right. I mean, look at this as an adventure. Yes. An, an adventure where you're exploring all these. I mean, literally 99% of the food on the planet comes from plants. <laughs> and and yet most most people, you know, they only really circulate around a dozen or so different plant-based foods if yeah. that we actually just planted a garden in our backyard you know that coincided with covid and our six-year-old every morning she goes out and she runs and she picks some kale or some beet greens checks how the carrots are doing the uh, the scallions the, the pumpkins um, and she's making her own salads every morning it's really spectacular yeah, that's so wonderful to see. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, get get your kids involved just in some way, shape, or form. Um, you guys have 52 absolutely delicious looking recipes in this book. Is that you, Brenda, somebody else? What happened? How did you come up with those recipes? Yeah, so all the recipes um were uh created by Brenda and I, the yeah. two of us. So I would say it's about half hers, half mine. And you'll see slightly different approaches because I think um Brenda and I definitely have um, slightly different ways of cooking and, you know, things that we may or may not do in the family. Um, I think with, especially with having two teenagers and 
given all the things that we talked about, I think that my recipes will be a little bit more, um, you know, they may have some salt or oil or things like that, that Brenda's may not have. Um, but all the recipes are ours. And then we had some amazing recipe testers that really okay. helped us to kind of fine tune and make sure that the recipes were um, delicious. Well, I, so just for our listeners, I want you to know that I have checked off several that I want to make over the next two weeks. And it's about, 10 of them that just jumped out at me. I'm going to read those, okay? Okay. So the first is, and it's this, this is for my kids who I just know will go- gobble these up. The, the oatmeal bars look just yes. like fantastic. Chickpea chocolate chip cookies. Speaks. Those are a favorite. <laughs> and I'm actually going to give you like a bonus secret tip for that recipe. Okay. Which I discovered after we published the book. Yeah. Which is if when you're blending up your chickpeas and your nut butter and all that stuff, you throw in a tablespoon of yellow miso paste. Ooh. And it gives the cookies this sort of salted caramel flavor. <laughs> okay. Say no more. Right. <laughs> uh snickerdoodle hummus. I mean, come on. Get real. Really. Snickerdoodle hummus. <laughs> I have to try it. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> what do you recommend having that with? I think it's perfect with like sliced apples. Uh-huh. It really goes well with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind shepherd's pie. I am I am a just diehard fan of good a good shepherd's pie with the potatoes and the, I don't know, this one have lentils in it maybe, but l- lentils and peas and, oh, it's just so satisfying. So that, that jumped out. Um, yeah. Lemony chickpea pasta with mushrooms and broccoli. My kids love anything broccoli. Uh, and that recipe comes together so quickly. It's like perfect for a quick week. And it's got everything in there, right? It's got your broccoli and it's got, it's just like a one bowl meal and it's perfect. Yeah, My kids yeah. really like that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mango avocado and black bean salad. Every one of those ingredients, everybody in my family loves. So that'd be a great salad. Um, banana walnut pancakes. Yeah. Every every Sunday we make pancakes, and uh, so I want to try those out. And then the last thing was the curried red lentil soup. I'm mm. a yeah. So anyway, those oh, can't <laughs> wait to try all those. Well, I hope they. I hope you enjoy them. Oh, I will. I will. Um, I want to read. You have a passage in here that I want to read because I just want to harken back to what we were talking about with the dinner table and and how important that is. Um, And this is page 264 here. It's, despite all of the potential advantages, family meals are not a panacea. Our children will still struggle with school, with relationships, with food, and with health, both physical and mental. But those rituals practiced with consistency may diminish their chances of of experiencing such suffering. And if such suffering should come upon them, the foundation of family meals can be a wonderful source of ongoing support, comfort, and love. Through the food and conversations that we bring to our dinner tables, we have the wonderful and fantastic opportunity to nourish our families each and every day. Amen to that. <laughs> because you're right. I mean, we we life is hard, right? Yeah. And we're all, we're all going to have our own set of struggles, whatever they may be. But to me, this, if you can give your child the gift of of a plant-predominant diet and family dinner time or lunchtime or breakfast time or just some of that, 
uh, it will serve as a foundation we'll, the, that will that will do them so well as they sail off into life. As your kids are getting yeah. ready to do it, sixteen and eighteen, and you know, thank goodness that this is something that they have uh, or have had from you and your husband now for a good sounds like almost ten years plus. Yeah. Um, there's one story that always sort of warms my heart. Um, and it's this idea of this, you know, just being consistent and it might not seem very dramatic, but our children are really paying attention. I remember we were, we have this tradition of just sort of checking in with one another's day. Like, how was your day? And, you know, my kids are teenagers now. So they're just like, it was fine. It was fine. You know, they kind of roll their eyes, but I remember, I can't remember what exactly it was, but I had a particularly hard day and I was just kind of quiet at the dinner table And my son sort of picked up on the cue, like something's off. And he turned to me and he said, Mama, how's your day? And it's one of those things where... (laughs) You don't expect it. You don't expect it. And just, I don't know. I think that sometimes we take for granted that those little things, they may seem sort of annoying or irritating to our kids, especially our teenagers, but they are paying attention and they rely on us to give them that structure, that routine, and that opportunity for connection. So even if they seem resistant, even if they're rolling their eyes at you, mm-hmm. keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. And um, you know, an- another thing that you write about in the book that I completely agree with, and again, why it's why I said that the gift that you've given your children by bringing them on board with this lifestyle is that a lot of times I think the palate that our children's develop that our children de- children develop, you know, as they're growing up, will then kind of um, become a pattern into adulthood. Absolutely. And so, yeah. what what a you know what a what a great gift. Yeah, but I, I think I will also say that is very, very true. And I completely agree with it. But no matter where you are, it's like not too late to start. Because sometimes parents yes. will read this book or they'll come to me and they say, but my kids are already like 10 and 12. Like, I, they're, I'm, it's too late. I've messed up already. And that's not the case. Like, they they are flexible. They are resilient. And um, if you invite them along, you just be persistent, <laughs> be patient, and they will come along. So even no. if your kids are older, it's not too late. Good, good, good point. Good point. There's so many different, you know, uh, parts of the spectrum. Like my father, for example, I was talking to him just the other night and he was telling me how he is right now counseling a 91-year-old male, right? <laughs> Who's just getting on board now because he wants to kick the heart disease and, you know, go go into his hundreds. <laughs> yeah, it's it's never, I don't think it's ever too late. And I think no. it's just, uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, if, you can, if your dad can support someone at 91 years of age, yeah. then we can definitely support a nine-year-old, right? Yeah, yeah to- totally. And, you know, and my kids, you know, they have the, you know, they have this gift of they don't know any other lifestyle. Right. And yeah. so they don't have any really, they've never had any cravings for cheese, for meat, for dairy, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, now, I do want to, you know, let listeners know that they do love, right, some of the plant-based ice creams and some of the plant-based, you know, uh, Beyond Meat, uh, you know, hamburgers and, and some of the diet cheese on their, on their pizzas. But, um, you know, they're 6, 11, and 13, and I'm okay with that right now. Yeah. Cause yeah. you, I mean, I think studies have also shown that the more restrictive that you become with those things, 
the more they're going to want them when they're sort of away from you. And I think modeling that behavior, like it's perfectly fine. And, you know, like what we do 80 to 90% of the time is so much more important than being perfect. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Puts a lot of pressure on kids and families, I think. Yeah, totally. Well, Reshma, this has been absolutely delightful. I want to thank you and Brenda for writing nourish uh for for families it is um it is and can serve as one of the true clear paths to get family on board um in a very very i think manageable and um an accessible way so thank you thank you for this contribution it's really wonderful. oh and thank you so much for having both brenda and i on we're just I'm so grateful for your support and for your beautiful words about the book. Um, Your endorsement was just, uh, it really warmed our heart to have such kind words from you. So thank you for those. Well, and thank you for that wonderful gift package that you sent me. Yes. That was really delightful. That's um, my mom's homemade garam masala. Like you'll, it's, you won't want any other garam masala after using hers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to dig in and try it. Now, is that something that I could use on that red lentil curry dish? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I uh, on my website, I actually have a recipe for chana masala, and I use that garam masala for that. Um, the other thing you can do that I love doing with that is just um, putting it on some chickpeas and roasting them yeah, yeah, with yeah. a little salt, and it just gives it a nice flavor. Ooh. You know, that reminds me of one of the things that you mentioned in here is just an easy dinner was this, these pan... Um, pan dinners where you just oh, sheet pan dinners sheet, yeah. there it is sheet pan dinners where yeah go go ahead describe a sheet pan dinner so it's basically um you just kind of throw everything on a sheet pan and just roast it and so you, i usually like to do either some um chickpeas or tofu uh whatever veggies you have maybe some sweet potatoes or regular potatoes and then if you've got either a homemade or jarred pesto or something like that it's just a really quick night dinner and i think it also when you're at the end of the week, when your groceries are kind of straggling and you've got like half an eggplant and a couple bell peppers and you don't really know what to do with all, just throw it all in a sheet pan and roasting it just brings out the sweetness. And especially now as we're in fall and winter weather, I think it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's one of our favorite things to do with, with onions um, and any kind of potato. And, and, and then towards the end, I'll pull it out and I'll throw in some, um, usually some frozen corn and have that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, with it as well, kind of give it a little sweetness with every bite. But yeah. um, mm, mm, mm. so before I let you go, let me ask you this. Uh, what time of the day is it there? Like noonish? Yeah, it's just about noon here. So can you tell me uh, if you've had breakfast today and what you had and then what you're maybe planning to have for lunch and dinner, if you if you so know had, what those had, are. Yeah, I had breakfast and I had a piece of sprouted toast with a little nut butter and some sliced fruit. That's like, for me, it's a quick and easy breakfast. It's either usually that or oatmeal, yep. pretty much my go-tos. Um, and then for lunch, um, I usually, what I do for lunch is just uh, whatever we have leftovers, and then I'll find some greens or other vegetables and I just kind of all mix it together. So my favorite lunch is basically leftovers plus greens, and that's pretty much it. 
Yeah. That's lunchy. And then tonight for dinner, um, we are going to have, because uh, I always have to have in my mind yep. what dinner is going to be. We're going to have a French lentil soup with some kale. And then I, my kids love, I make this like flatbread with um, whatever veggies we have. So I'll do like a flatbread with veggies and just like a salad. So that's for dinner tonight. Mm, mm. Um, that all sounds really, really delicious. Um <laughs> Yeah, for lunch today, I've got some leftover barley from from last night that we made just in the rice cooker. So I'm going to have the barley with uh, with some corn that I put in the in the in the, in the I guess you could just call it the <laughs> the the saucepan. Uh, and then I'm going to throw in some, believe it or not, frozen bell peppers, uh, some greens, and just a little bit of black beans. Um, but that'll be ready in about five, six minutes. Yeah. Lunch for me is usually yeah. like whatever I can throw together from leftovers and, you know, various greens. But you've also got that garden. So you can just send the kids out to pick something. <laughs> That's right. Here. I know. I know. Exactly. Um, well, Reshma, I, I hope that we uh, that we get to meet um, sometime in 2021 after COVID has lifted. That would be that would be great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, all the best to you. Peace. Engine two and keep it plant strong. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Family meals do matter. And I sincerely hope that these interviews with Brenda and Reshma have inspired you to give it a go, even if it's just one meal at a time. As Dr. Shah says, this is not about being perfect, but about being centered in your values. I can think of no better values to teach your family than health, tradition, celebration, and connectedness. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources on this episode, visit plantstrongpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the great news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything to me. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.